and welcome to Volume 6, Issue 295 of the Kane Runners Podcast, Project Gotham Racing 3 and Project Gotham Racing 4. As always, you can play along with Kane Runners Volume 6. There aren't many episodes left now. The next one coming up is Mega Man 1 and 2. We have Final Fantasy, then Mario Kart 64, Call of Duty, the original one in the series, and then the last episode of the entire season. That's the Witcher 3 DLC finalising our Witcher run-through, and they are the DLCs Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine. You can head to canerinse.com for articles, features, reviews, and links to our forum, Facebook page, and YouTube channel. If you really enjoy what we do, there are a number of ways in which you can support us. We currently have a Patreon. There's no content hidden behind paywalls or anything like that. Uh, if you don't wish to contribute, don't. We, we do appreciate it if you do. It does help cover us the costs, our bandwidth costs software for the editors etc if you do like to support us then head to patreon.com slash cane and rinse uh, one dollar a month or more really does go a long way uh, and we appreciate everyone in the new year we may look at getting a paypal uh, donation link but currently patreon is the optimal way to go alternately if you prefer something tangible in return for your hard-earned cash then you can check out our shop at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash We have a range of t-shirts, bags, hoodies, etc. Uh, we get a couple of quid from each purchase on there. You can also check out our video games, music, podcast, Sound of Play. We have a lot of music available for you now via that podcast. It's excellent. And as always, please do review, rate and subscribe to both of our podcasts on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn. We, we always need more reviews, so if you haven't done that, we would very much... Uh, appreciate that moment of your time so joining me on this one finalizing the uh, bizarre creations racing series we started with metropolis street racer and project gotham racing and project gotham racing 2 and this finalizes it with project gotham racing 3 and project gotham racing 4 so joining me in this issue are tony atkins hello and gary blower hello the same team for every podcast we try to be consistent so, Project Gotham Racing 3, the third in the series, the first for the Xbox 360, the then at the time brand new software, uh, brand new hardware, sorry, with this brand new software, uh, a launch title uh, by Bizarre Creations, published by Microsoft Game Studios. It was released at the launch of the consoles for the regions in North America. That was November 22nd, 2005. We had to wait a little bit longer. Two weeks, we got it in December 2nd of 2005. Japan, however, had to wait till 2006. They got it January 12th. We immediately got some feedback from Ben Monroe. He contacted us via email. He said, At the age of 13, I received an Xbox 360 for Christmas along with two games, Call of Duty 2 and Project Gotham Racing 3. So these two games kept me occupied for months. Project Gotham Racing 3 in particular was my introduction into online gaming. Being able to play with people around the world during a time when the Xbox online community hadn't turned toxic and it was a real thrill. I raced through the tracks, Las Vegas, London, Tokyo, time and time again. The Ferrari F430 was a particular favourite of mine. Visually, the game stood out against anything at the time, really highlighting the technical jump between the Xbox and the Xbox 360. I enjoyed PGR4 just as much and hope that maybe one day Microsoft will give the Forza series a much-needed break and we may see the return of Project Gotham Racing. I'm sure this is something we'll cover on our roundups uh, of the series, but for those that have listened, 
we were pretty keen on MSR, Project Gotham Racing, and especially Project Gotham Racing 2. So we'll go straight into our histories of the game, and we'll start with Tony. Yeah, so this was a day one purchase for me. Super excited, brand new console, new tech, needed something to show off, and obviously, as always, racing games are a great starting place for that, and it, it was a very pretty-looking game at the, at the time. I completed it 100%. I've still got my save file. It sounds so weird. I've still got my save file, because it's 360. shouldn't be that long ago, but, you know, when you're looking at 12 years ago yeah that's still a chunk of time ago but i do still have my save file um and i've been playing it earlier in the week uh and yeah i did everything up to gold level was there a platinum in this one i'm not sure yep there okay. was platinum. did everything up to gold uh so meh but enjoyed it uh immensely so yes was definitely looking forward to it and, I, and you know the hype of a new console is always a good place to to be jumping onto new races how about yourself gary I got a copy five weeks before I got an Xbox 360 because of the Amazon cock-ups, if you remember, when the 360 came out. So uh, I essentially had a copy of Perfect Dark Zero, Project Gotham Racing 3, (laughs) a spare controller, and no console for that entire Christmas period. I think it was the end of January by the time it finally arrived. In some ways, it was bittersweet. At least we don't have Amazon cock-ups with Xbox consoles anymore. (laughs) That's a relief, right? It's not my favourite of the series. I mean, it's definitely two, but it it got a hell of a lot of play because obviously being Mm -hmm. a launch game, I played probably hundreds of hours. I, I couldn't really be able to tell you. And I certainly unlocked more in this PGR than I did in any other. Yeah, and uh, just to remind people as well that, you know, our opinions on the rest of the series that, you know, we're coming off the very high, high, high benchmark of uh, Project Gotham Racing 2 from the original Xbox, which we all dearly loved. So for anyone who's interested in listening to our past thoughts on uh, Metropolis Street Racer and Project Gotham Racing 1 and 2, um, you can catch our... Metropolis Street Racer issue is issue 247 and Project Gotham Racing 1 and 2 were like this one on one podcast and that was issue 262. So my personal history is a little bit odd. I really wanted an Xbox 360. I'd asked for one for Christmas off my parents. It was sort of a big Christmas for doing well in university if I was actually going to be doing well. Uh, I was. It's okay. And my friend had recently got with his girlfriend who he's, he's still with now. And she treated him to an Xbox 360 and all the trimmings, extra controller, pretty much every launch game. It was a, a full thing. It was it was amazing. So uh, the, the day of release, I went around to his house to go and play some games. And that, that's where I played PGR 3 for the first time. Then the next day, I ended up getting the present early anyway. I got it on December 3rd, technically, but I played it December t- uh, 2nd. I was a huge fan of Project Gotham Racing 2. Uh, it, I've made no secret of it. It's still, to this day, my very favourite racing game. So PGR 3 was a huge deal for me uh, at day one. And with that came the whole new achievement system that started to win me over with this game. I didn't really understand what was going on. I didn't understand that achievements were stackable. So I went through the whole game on steel. Then I went through it on bronze. Then I went through it <laughs> oh, on silver. Saying that, that was a thing at the time. You'd have to do that to many games. <laughs> yeah, there was many games that weren't stackable. So it wasn't as foolish as as we can laugh about it now. But I went through the whole game three times. Then someone told me, hey, why don't you just go through it on Platinum and just do it once? So I went through it on Platinum, so I didn't have to do it five. I only did it the four times. But yeah, I, I full platinumed every race. I have every achievement on it, including the tournament that they brought in, the tournament achievement, which was the bane of many a man with a, with a cat and mouse content. So yeah, PGR 3 was, it was a huge deal for me. I picked it up technically the day after launch, but near enough. It was a must play. The sales of Project Gotham Racing 3 are really odd. 
they don't seem to actually make any sense compared to the previous iterations in the season, uh, in the series, or the one after. When we looked at VG charts, it shows us 0.6 million copies worldwide. I am certain that that is not the accurate figure. Firstly, the other games sold more considerably, and it was a launch game, which always results in additional pickups of software. It also received uh, a Platinum Sales Award via the Entertainment and Leisure Software Publishers Association. Most people have probably heard of them by the ELSPA. That requires at least 300,000 sales of a game in the United Kingdom alone. And I don't think the UK accounted for 50% of all sales of the game. The game was critically well-received. It's currently got an 88 uh, out of 100 rating on Metacritic. I don't really see that changing. Uh, And game rankings have it as 88.59%, so consistent over the two. It was voted Xbox Magazine's Game of the Year on the Xbox 360. Probably a surprise to many. Also, first person Game of the Year. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't a surprise to see this pick up many Game of the Year awards. I'm sure we'll say that straight out. It, it was very, very impressive. It was it was the technical marvel that we all showed people our new Xbox 360 uh, hardware off with. This was mentioned. It was a launch game on the 360. Uh, it was front and center in all the advertising for Microsoft's console. It, it was a it was a big deal for both Microsoft and Bizarre Creations. And the questions were coming out straight away. Is that a screenshot? Is it a photo? Is it doctored? Etc. I don't know how many. Uh, if any of you guys remember this, it was all over the place like people had real doubts that the xbox 360 was actually going to look like this the ps3 was still quite a distance off and as a result bizarre showed screenshots they said that the average uh polygon count was going to be eighty thousand per car which was astronomical uh, as reference pgr2 was about ten thousand. we saw wireframe meshes of all the models Later, it was revealed that the average was, in fact, 96,000 polygons per car, not the 80,000 that they talked about, and that does not include damage models on top, which could account for about another ten to 20,000 polygons. We just hadn't seen anything like this before, certainly not in a racing game. Uh, and reading the numbers out, at the time, I was actually doing a games design course, so I was really into the, sort of the metrics of what was acceptable polygons going into the next generation, and everyone that I knew, including the lecturers and stuff, were very surprised that they were able to do this. Project Gotham Racing 3 did have a little change in design to Project Gotham Racing 2. It placed an emphasis on high-end supercars rather than the mixed variety of vehicles that we had seen in Project Gotham Racing 1 and 2. Uh, Bazaar stated that this was because roughly 10% of players connected to Xbox Live um, used the full gamut of cars that were available. Uh, and 90% ended up going with the supercars anyway, so they, they drove a focus towards that. <laughs> that just sounded like a pun, sorry. We also had, obviously, the increase of different light maps, specular maps, bump maps, normal maps were all starting to come in, and the, these are stuff that are very much the norm at the time, and we did see them on all the stuff, but we were seeing that on every release of title, we had uh, extra plugins, we had the likes of Speed Tree was new, so we could have all these environments with, with in, interesting... Uh, foliage and stuff that was no longer mm-hmm. super intensive on hardware. So there, there was many reasons for the increase rather than just absolute raw power. Other things were being created at the time. And these are the things that are still developing. I mean, we're, we're still utilizing all these now, 12 years after release. It still freaks me that this is 12 years ago that this game came out. We're talking about split second. I don't know if you know that only sold 80,000 copies. And I believe Blur, which came, which was bizarre and came out around about the same time, did similar numbers. You know, and you think in the space of what, four years? 
Bizarre went from selling several million copies of, of this game and, you know, launching with, like you said, at least 300,000 in the UK to then only shifting 80, 100,000 worldwide. The arcade racer definitely, this is definitely peak arcade racer. We've had this conversation now about the shrinking marketplace of, of racing games. It, you know, there seems to be Forza, Gran Turismo, and then obviously Project Cars has, has come in and taken a, a slot. Yeah, I mean, even even the once mighty Ridge Race has faded. Need for Speed just released again, struggling, burnout gone. It, it's strange because obviously the, the three of us very much fall in the category of people who love this kind of game and there's very little that's afforded to us in the way of new releases that, that actually satisfy that thirst for more but in, in terms of sale figures and why I believe that the 0.6 is just not accurate for PGR3 is that PGR4 sold 2.04 million copies worldwide again that also received an elsewhere I mean I'll discuss these again later on on PGR4 but for comparison to this there's just no way that this game sold 0.6 that's obviously clearly a false figure that I'm finding online People's tastes have changed, and there's more choice than there's ever been. Of yeah, of course, you know, so many people are spread across so many more games as a technical showcase. I mean, at the moment, the Xbox One X, you know, Forza Seven looks incredible on that device. Like it's yeah, they've always been good technical showcases, and I, you know, back on the 360, this is the perfect place to be, you know, showcasing a new console, showcasing what it it can do. And I always think yeah, those numbers are somewhat inflated and, and project Gotham was good at being at that place kind of taking advantage of of you know of the you know the new tech at the time so maybe you know maybe that's the piggyback numbers that it gets but yeah you know, I'd, I'd like to think that racing games still can can do numbers around you know half a million we see it with genres all the time fighting games in particular are going through a real resurgence in 2017 in this year alone we've had tekken uh, injustice marvel versus capcom uh, we're still working on the seasons of Street Fighter V. Uh, Killer Instinct's still going relatively strong. This is a genre that was deemed relatively over by the Capcom games. You know, we're seeing even the the more niche Japanese games, uh, Blaz Blue, Guilty Gear, Exerd are doing great so i'm hoping that we'll see a similar resurgence for racing games at some point it may make sense we do see these you know peaks and troughs of of certain uh, genres that, that that fall in with the with the public at times and of course we, when we discuss games like split second and blur this was at a time when publishers were maybe making unrealistic expectations for game sales. Uh, every time that I mention this, I always follow it up with Square Enix complaining about the sales of Tomb Raider they, when they uh, brought that franchise out again, and it was a top 10 all-time fastest-selling game, and they said they were underwhelmed with sales. So th this is the world that we're living in, and especially in the case of Blur, Activision had taken over them. Again, Activision taking over Bizarre Creations is a point that will be mentioned before the end of this podcast, if not several times throughout. Back to Project Gotham Free for a second. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, obviously we can look back at the industry now and say, oh, you know, here's some mistakes. But I do feel in 2005, mm -hmm. there was still this massive appetite for, for racing games. There was a hunger from, the, from this game. I, I might remember adoring Project Gotham Racing 2. Um, you know, we've, we've done our histories, but, you know, really loving those games. Um, so the idea of, of playing that, you know, the super powerhouse version of that game on the 360 was, you know, I was in my element, could not wait. So, you know, it's not a case of it's just another racer. At this point, I don't think, you know, the, the kind of cynicism of the mark of the industry had, had fallen upon us quite as hard. And yeah, so, you know, let's get talking about what makes Project Gotham Racing free different than uh, than two yeah 
So there's obviously a wide range of new features. This was very much an evolution on the Project Gotham racing formula from 2. 1 and 2 were similar, 2 was just a lot more polished, but 3 really did throw a lot of stuff in. But when we're looking box by numbers, the biggest disappointment I remember having was when I learned that there was only five locations Mm -hmm. and none of those locations were Edinburgh. If anyone goes to listen to us discuss Project Gotham Racing 2, we all loved Edinburgh as a location to race around. However, five locations is maybe a false representation of the content in the game because now we had large environments that were in the game. So one thing that they'd actually built was a track creation tool. This absolutely blew me away when I booted the game up and I realized that they had modeled huge blocks of these environments and you could actually create multiple routes of different lengths. It was quite open. You could do the full ring of the city, if you like, of the modeled areas uh, and little tracks within and play them with friends. So five locations was not strictly true. It was actually a total of 110 courses that were in the game with the multiple routes and, in inverted commas, millions of possible combinations (laughs) uh, with, with the route creator. We had a reworked Kudos system. That's the core of every Project Gotham game where you earn points for drifting, doing 360s, handbrake turns, uh, driving dangerously, if, you, if you'd like. Uh, remember, don't copy street racing in real life. <laughs> so the, the, we had new additions to that, such as the good line bonus, which was far more traditional raining, uh, racing reward. It's the kind of thing that we do see in the Forza games now for hitting a perfect apex. They were for hitting a tight corner at perfect speed or gutsy bonuses for dangerous skids for taking corners at high speeds and keeping control of the car. So they had put a far higher emphasis on high speed, high risk, high reward um, over the second one where you could probably be a little bit more technical, um, not have to go as quick and still earn kudos. We now had an interior view for every car in the game. I don't remember playing a racing game that had anywhere near these numbers of interior views. In fact, I'm not even sure I remember interior views. Uh, this was just incredible to be able to look around the interior of the car and, and see the steering wheel, the dials, the, you know, the, the radio panel, and, and be able to blitz around these cities. It was maybe the most immersive experience that I'd had going into a racing game. We had Gotham TV, uh, something that maybe made a better concept than it did an, an actual addition to the game. It was the new age of Xbox Live, Xbox Live 2.0. Gotham TV allowed the best players in the world to be broadcast over Xbox Live. It would show their progress so you could actually watch them playing the very best or you could watch your friends. Um, Think Twitch built into a game and having all the information of what's active posted through a ticker bar whilst connected to Xbox Live through the menus. It still sounds really kind of interesting now. This is a wonderful feature. And it's the, the thing that got me incredibly excited about the way that you know gaming was heading the, the idea that i could just you know look into somebody else's mm-hmm. game so i mean there's something that on live um that ill-fated project <laughs> um did really interesting which was you know you could just you know log in if, you, if your friends are online just pop in have a look see what they're up to you know watch whatever they were playing at the time and you know an interesting concept yeah probably it's a failed project but an interesting concept nevertheless so this to me seemed like this was pushing the boundaries microsoft really looking at what they could do with their technology unlike anything i'd seen before and i was super excited about it 
in reality, I don't think I used it much. <laughs> um, I think the core concept was a, a is a good idea. Even to this day, I, I relaunched, you know, loaded up, and I, you know, I was ah, oh, I wonder if this still works. The truth of the matter is that I, I sat for half an hour in a multiplayer lobby, and there was sadly not one person joined my my pl- no. my multiplayer game. Let alone for me to be able to stream and watch somebody else's stuff, even if that stuff still exists. But what a great unique concept at the time. Occasionally, it would come up and say, you know, you're on uh, Gotham TV. And you wondered if anyone was actually paying any attention or not. See, see Twitch now. But I, I remember Microsoft making a big push at this stuff. You know, this was one of their kind of marquee, this is what we can do now on our platform. Look how clever, how you know, cool this is. And it being like a real selling feature on their marketing. I remember when Xbox 360 launched, Microsoft were very strict that games had to have HD, at least one online feature, nearly always just leaderboards for a lot of things. It had to have achievements, had to be 5.1. This game went with it and it went beyond because this had a lot built in very naturally. Everything worked very organically through the in-game menu system. So uh, it had an enhanced leaderboard system. It was one of it was very popular feature in Project Gotham Racing 2, but it was never consistent. So a lot of the time the, the track times wouldn't update, so you wouldn't actually be able to compare with people. Whereas in PGR 3, every route, would track times, you could see ghosts, you could track just your friends, and all this worked. Uh, Day one on the Xbox 360, it it still boggles my mind that they had that working so well, so smoothly, (laughs) with all these features then, because we see a lot of games releasing without anything near that now. This is with all the technical hiccups that you would be getting at launch. We also had a photo mode added. This was not necessarily a common feature in games at the time. Uh, we see it in pretty much every racing game now. It was something that I took a lot of time with. I actually really enjoyed taking photos, uh, getting rotations, changing the saturation of the images. It was very basic, and it, it's nothing compared to the likes that we see in Gran Turismo or, or Forza, but it was an interesting feature regardless. Garages were added. This built on from the showrooms that were in Project Gotham Racing 2, where you could purchase cars and place them in a 3D garage environment. You would you would put them in the slot, and then you could uh, walk first person around these garages, inspecting the cars that you owned. And these garages were quite pretty. There was many different locations, like an Italian villa and an inside car uh, posh garage, if you like. This was something I adored. If I got a bigger garage, I wanted every Ferrari in that garage, all in the mm-hmm. same shade of Ferrari red, and I could walk around them and look at my 430, my F40, my F50. Also, Geometry Wars made a return <laughs> to the series, this time playable via a, uh, an arcade game cabinet in one of the garages where you could play it, um, and you could actually purchase the game via PGR from the Xbox Live Marketplace Another launch game uh, and an arcade game at that uh, for the new Xbox Live Arcade online features that they'd added into the uh, Xbox Live system. So we saw saw the return of Geometry Wars. I actually spent a very large amount of time playing Geometry Wars (laughs) rather than PGR. I fell in love with it. So I think it's fair to say that the presentation took a real upswing from the the previous uh, installments of the series. I, I I really liked the garages and, you know, Car games now have pretty much become collector fonds, uh, be it through pay DLC or however, which way you want to do it. But I love this. Um, I think it maybe it be maybe it's possible <laughs> that seven hundred cars in, in um, Forza Seven might be a lot of garages. But but here I don't. What was the, the total car count? It wasn't. It wasn't huge. So there was still enough to. Uh... It was eighty. There was eight. Mm. Was, eighty cars. With thirty manufacturers, and then some more were added as DLC. Well, and like you, I I had uh, you know having 
the ability to go back to my sofa this week, popping into those garages and realizing, you know, my crazy layouts of making sure that every you know manufacturer was you know, where it should be in the right garage. And yeah, seeing from the beginning garage, which is basically just a shed, all the way up until the you know the, the luxury vid- uh, villa that overlooks the sea, and <laughs> it's like okay, kind of pointless. But I love that that idea of the presentation, along with that and the TV mode, um, and all those extra aspects, really did sell it as okay. This is the next generation of you know car content. Um, you know, we're we're doing more than just pick a pick a track and off you go racing. In terms of the presentation and the garage, it was it was very important to me. And I'm not saying it was something that we couldn't see in past games in the generation or other games, because we discussed the showroom in the last podcast and we loved the idea that you could go around and see mm-hmm. these cars. But we see so many cars, you've already uh, so many games that are about the cars. You've mentioned Forza and its car pack DLC and its consistent additions of 10, 12, 15 cars over and over. And Gran Turismo is supposed to be about the spirit of racing and the love of the vehicle. And you reviewing these vehicles via a list, there's no passion, there's no ownership. And sure, we have Forza Vista and and the ability to look cars, and that's kind of nice, but it's one at a time. It's nice to be able to say, look, I own that car, I can walk around my garage, I can look at these cars. Mm. I felt like there was a real connection to my progression in the game of what I purchased, how I could customise those garages with what cars were in them. It was something that I really, really appreciated about this game. And people discussed more in depth about the racing. That makes sense. It's a racing game and it's not for everyone. But at times it felt like this was made for me and no one else was really talking about it. Like I was really passionate about my garage and, and, you know, taking photos uh, via the photo mode. And we didn't have any sort of upload system to share them like we do now. But I really enjoyed that feature. And it... When I think back about PGR3, it's probably the feature that I think back most fondly about. And it seems ridiculous because, you know, as we'll discuss the gameplay, it plays pretty well. But that's immediately what I'm drawn back to mentally. And and it surprises me that that's the case. But it also annoys me that other games really haven't taken this and run with it. Even as uh, Project Gotham Racing 4 didn't do it as in-depth. We only had, was it two garages as opposed to the nine? I wonder if they had stats that showed people didn't really... Because I'm the opposite of you. I think I probably went into the garage once to find geometry walls, and that was probably it. I'm very much a, once I've unlocked a couple of cars I like, that's all I use. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not a... Uh, Where's my list? I, no, I've never in any racing game really been in it for collecting the cars. I, I tend to find one or two that I really like, and I'll use them, you know, and if it's a certain category, I'll just pick the one I like most from that category, whichever one I've unlocked. It is interesting, isn't it, the, the psychology of of that? Because, you know, I've played enough of these games now that, you know, I, I've experienced them from both ends. I mean, isn't it like Forza 6 where, or Forza 5, where they, they just give you all the cars and go, go with it, and then I raced four cars and i went with it and then like some of the criticisms now of, of forza 7 is well you have to kind of on you know play the single player game to and to unlock some you know the higher end cars and, and i'm actually I, i'm the opposite of a lot of people i'm quite enjoying that because it's forcing me to to kind of evaluate other vehicles that i've you know i would traditionally just not drive for me it's kind of like oh, it's a it's more of a single player kind of conceit that stuff you can just play in, in quick last video but whatever you know so i yeah i quite like the collection aspects of of games and i think i've probably appreciated a bit more kind of well here here's my my stock of cars although you know going back into my um my garages you know this week i had, I had something like, like 17 million <laughs> kudos to spend and yeah. i 
brought half the cars and just like looking at the amount of kudos per car, I, like, I, I don't know why I didn't just buy all the cars at this point, but I, I was clearly saving my money towards something. Yeah. Well, the thing is, when he played it online, one of the repetitive things was that when he played online, he played randoms, invariably it would just be Enzoathons. Um, you know, every other race would be that. So there were certain cars that you just used over and over again because often online you were forced to yeah i mean I, I think for many of the events there was a car that was undoubtedly the best for that style of event well all you wanted to be different i mean i always used to pick the kerner's egg because ferraris are italian rubbish but um yeah it, it, it meant it was much harder to win it seems <laughs> weird to talk about 80 cars as if that's an exceptional amount and at the time it really was because of the detail that we're in but I felt like those 80 cars meant more to me than the 700 I see in a list in Forza because of how I could place them around my garage and I did have my favourites you know I may only pick four but I would race them in the interior view so I never had to look at them from the exterior view because I could just look at them in my garage whereas in other games I'll race many of them on the external view just so I can actually see the car because other than that I have no ownership of that car other than something to, to drive it's a real sort of pet peeve of mine of how cars and car collections are handled in games, and I felt like it was something that Project Gotham Racing 2, 3, and 4 absolutely nailed, knocked out of the park. Yeah, just a daft thing about the garage. I absolutely adored it. So gameplay-wise, I've already hinted <laughs> at the fact that this is a little bit different in the structure of car ownership. There were 80 licensed cars from over 30 manufacturers. 71 of these are unlocked from the start of the game. I said that you could just pick a car and go with it. And for a large period of the game, that, that is the case. You unlock the other nine uh, via challenges, completing uh, difficulty brackets and such. But a big departure from past ones. I mean, I remember discussing in the Metropolis Street Racer show how brutally difficult it is to get other cars and, and how you kind of forced into using uh, very specific ones per event because you have no other option to. In this one... It, it didn't feel like your hands were tied at all right from the start, so you could just sort of really let go with your favourite cars. It's something that they actually didn't stick with for PGR4, <laughs> so PGR3 is a little bit different in that regard into the structure of, of how you own your cars, and then you, you purchase them for your garage via the kudos uh, and, and keep them that way. It sticks very much to the formula of the past games, so there's uh, three different styles of events. You've got your timed events, your racing events, and your style events. Um, your timed events are your hot lap, your timed run, your breakthrough, and your time versus kudos. So as an example, hot lap is fastest lap. Uh, timed run is a just a race. Uh, breakthrough is going between the barrier gates uh, and, and keeping your time up. So you're running through a series of cone challenges. Frustrating to many of many a person. Many a throne controller at that one in my youth, I got to admit. And then time versus kudos, where you had a countdown timer and by performing kudos-related tricks such as drifts, 360s, handbrake turns, best lines, etc., it would stop the clock until the kudos stopped being earned. So you would really be sort of getting the back end of the car out there around corners. Your racing events were a street race, just a standard race but against opponents, one-on-one, -on -one, exactly what it sounds like, uh, an eliminator where the person per lap in last place gets eliminated. And then you had your style events. So you've got your cone challenges, your drift challenges, your overtake challenges, and your speed challenges. There were five difficulties, as I've already mentioned. Steel through platinum with bronze, silver, and gold making up the middle three. Uh, you could knock down and, uh, your difficulty. So if you couldn't complete it in platinum, you could do it in gold. Uh, it was stackable. So you, you could start at the highest end and automatically unlock lower down. 
uh, an achievement tied to each as well as car unlocks. I was personally a platinum difficulty racer on the fourth attempt through the game, at least, as I already mentioned. <laughs> how, how about yeah, I had plenty of practice <laughs> at the events. I really wanted to get them down. What about you guys? Uh, well, as I previously mentioned, I've, I did everything in gold, and I've got a, I think about it, I do have a smattering of platinum stuff around the start of the area, but I clearly settled on gold being the way to go. I think I had gold on most. By way of comparison, I would say personally it felt easier than Project Gotham Racing 2. Uh, I found PGR 2 was a very, very difficult game. And there were moments of real challenge in PGR 3, but I did manage to do it all. So it must be easier because that's how it works. <laughs> the game felt a little stronger. It felt a little bit more robust in the engine. And um, there was very little slowdown bar. I'm sure you guys remember the bridge on New York uh, where it would go into a bit of a chug. But other than that, it, it was it was really smooth. Eight cars at a time on tracks, high polygon count, full full cities. And it just handled absolutely wonderfully. So I never felt like I was I was sort of running the gauntlet between matching everything and, and then hitting a platinum time as well. So that it was it was more fun than it was frustration. Yeah, in, interestingly, um, the career was spread across multiple kind of grouping events. as like group one, two, three, four, all the way up. Yeah, um, and tier yeah, system. You know, the tier like tier one would be I think it was just two races, and then tier two would be two races and. Uh, a hot lap event and tier three they would they would generally as you go further up they would generally have more and more events in amongst those tiers um to to the fact that i was looking through the you know some of them that the the tiers some of them had no racing in whatsoever they were just either like the the cone events or the time versus kudos which i think is quite interesting what what i did find though going back to it now the lot of the progression system seems to be oddly laid out now so it take you know two minutes to load into a, tra- a track, for instance, for you to do a thirty second um, kind of like timed run of an area because they kind of got the speed camera uh, sections as well. It was odd that it was like, oh, wow, that that was faster than what it took me to get here, um, and that you know that didn't quite feel like it plays off rightly. And even upon doing the racing, it felt a little off in like the amount of time you'd be doing something versus the amount of time to get somewhere. Comparing the racing to obviously racing now. It's very twitchy, and I and I found this going back uh, and playing the the previous you know titles in the series MSR and, and the Project Gotham One and Two is that it takes a little while to get used to the kudos style of racing again. Um, I found myself kind of breaking into corners, just like directly turning into a wall, um, because what it wants me to do is put on the handbrake and actually get round the corner in a slightly more you know stylistic fashion than me just trying to take the racing line, and that does actually take a little bit. Of, getting used to again if you haven't played it in you know the past 12 years the the thing i noticed when i when i played it um a while ago was that the there was a lot more mass and weight to the cars than i remembered which is kind of a neat thing being a a more arcadey style game you wouldn't necessarily think about you know weight distribution like like you wouldn't say a forza but it's definitely there you definitely do feel the weight and you you do chuck the cars nose into the corners you know and i think that's what makes the game fun anyway there's some jumps in this game that you jump and, and the car f- flies incredibly high and unrealistically, but good fun. But yeah, there was a couple of times I clipped a corner, landed in a very like straight way and then just had to continue into the barrier because there was no way of avoiding that kind of like, yeah. even though I was full lock and there was definitely you know more physics going on there what the car would actually realistically be doing you'd notice it in the atom and things like that because it was so light mm. that if it would take off and you'd lose total i can't remember which circuit it is now but there is one isn't there where there's a it might even Dickless be jump 
Yeah, there's like a big jump and then a sharp right-hander immediately afterwards, and I can't remember mm-hmm. which one it is. But yeah, if you come off the, if you take off on the jump, you will just hit the barrier. You've got absolutely no chance. Good for getting one of the achievements in one of the two games, though, where you had to get airborne. I've been playing a fair bit of uh, Forza Seven recently, and yeah, it, it's I mean, twelve years difference. So yeah, the, to be fair to it, but there there is um, a lot more kind of technicality, weight, you know, pulling into corners and having to utilize the racing line, or it all goes completely wrong. With this, I was just being thrown off because. I was trying to do those same things, turning at the point where I realistically should be turning and just literally turning into a barrier um, and just realizing, no, I need to I need to be refocusing on that CUDA system. I think it's because probably the game starts you off on, on two pure races. It just wants you to get to, you know, depending on which difficulty you're playing on, it just wants you to either come first, second or first, depending on the, your difficulty. Um, so I was a bit thrown off, like, oh, I'm just playing this like a racing game again. Uh, and then it's like, no, as you progress, you know, as I spent a couple of hours going into the career, it was a lot more about, okay, well, now you need to, um, you know, get kudos to, to stop the uh, the countdown timer from progressing and that stuff i found a lot more kind of like all oh, right this is kind of teaching me how to replay this game again rather than just uh, maybe it was just that kind of technical like here's how many cars we can get on the track and doesn't it look fantastic to start off with as i mentioned earlier there was a total of 110 courses with the different routes the 80 licensed cars but we also got dlc um so we had a launch game on the 360 immediately offering dlc within six months of release. This wasn't Alien. We'd had DLC to Project Gotham Racing 2. Um, the Xbox did have a few games that had managed it, but this was obviously a new generation of system. We had no idea yet of what was to come. A mere two months after we got the world-famous horse armor for Oblivion, we got the Speed Pack, featuring tournament access, new features, fixes, and cars. It's always rewarding when you see fixes as a feature of a dlc <laughs> a month later we got the cadillac v series that's the entire v series of cars were available that was free dlc and we had the style pack in july 2006 also featuring new cars and features martin chudley design lead for project gotham racing uh, said that there had been things that they'd wanted to do in the past but they'd never had the chance as the hardware simply wasn't up to it but now we can really let our imaginations take us where we want to go Thankfully, that imagination wasn't just an endless supply of car packs for us to buy. It was content. Lots and lots of content. Modes, a fully fleshed out Xbox Live suite of online modes, feature sets, and not all hidden behind a paywall. So I may sound a bit bitter, but <laughs> not you know, for anyone for anyone who loves these kinds of games, you're going to be paying above and beyond and not getting the same amount of content, sadly. Uh, the, probably the closest that we have these days is Forza Horizon series, which uses environment cities um not strictly necessarily as accurate but this is different because it sections it all out into very specific race sections so you can still race them like an actual racing game so it's somewhere between a hybrid of of forza motorsport and forza horizon for those who've never played a project gotham racing game i would say drive club is the closest to pgr in recent years um in terms of structure and um format i think more so than horizon yeah, I can sort of see the, the comparison. I think Drive Club felt like a lot of different sef- separate sections of track rather than uh, one environment split into those sections. Also a, a very good racing game and de- definitely one of the better racing games of the arcade racing ilk we've had post-PGR, for, for sure. Commercially didn't do well, you know, it's the thing we talk about. PGR 3 is how you meet launch and do it right. Drive Club is how you don't meet launch and do it wrong. Polar opposites in that regard. So we had five locations. We had London, New York, and Tokyo all returned. London especially very famous from the franchise. 
Uh, we had additions in Las Vegas was added and the Nurburgring. The full Nurburgring returned. We'd had that um, as DLC, but this time we also had the GP circuit. We now see the Nurburgring in pretty much yeah, every racing game <laughs> that's track-based. But PGR3 was the first, to my knowledge, that released on consoles that had the full circuit and the GP circuit and sections to, to race. Uh, fully fleshed out with the leaderboards, as mentioned. So we lost a lot of circuits or circuit locations. Um, mentioned again, mentioned it earlier. It was a huge part of the discussion on our PGR2 uh, episode because, quite frankly, we felt that environments make the game when it came to, to PGR. And it, it's still a little disappointing when you look at it go down to five, but we did have a lot of routes, a lot of customization. Uh, something we still don't really see anywhere near enough of in a, in a track-based game. They went for more commercial locations as well. Absolutely. All major mm-hmm. cities. Well, major, major cities in territories where Microsoft was keen to do well. Yeah, so Tokyo, Tick, New York, Tick, Vegas. If anything, it was Europe that didn't do so well out of it. You can kind of understand that because they wanted it to be a launch title and they wanted it to to do well in all of their launch markets. And so they needed to have a track that was symbolic of that market. Did you mention the breakdown of sales across different territories? Because I know in the US, the PGR series never did very well at all. The problem with PGR 3 was that the sales don't seem to add up. Yeah. It shows us on VG Chat show is 0.6 million, which just it's impossible for that to be the case because... The other ones are sold I in the millions, and this was a launch US title. Sales because um, I know it always used to set the uh, most of these get these particularly driving games. They tend to do much better in Europe than they do in Bigger in Europe. We had the customization to give people an idea of how big some of the circuits could be via customization or, or the creator track, should I say. Um, Las Vegas did offer a six-mile lap on the uh, furthest di- uh, distance possible, which for anyone who may not be aware of how big tracks are, that is big. Uh, the average race track is somewhere between two and three miles in a track-based racing game. So for those who are playing the likes of Forza, if we eliminate the likes of Spa, Le Mans, and obviously the Nürburgring, the majority of tracks are around two to three miles, and, and this could offer up to six. So that, that was impressive, especially from a technical aspect, and it looked amazing. This game came out four years after my first ever trip to Vegas, which I went to for my 21st birthday with friends. Um, an amazing experience. And to be able to drive down the road, park up, look out the side, and point to the window, which was my hotel room, <laughs> was a pretty special thing. Obviously, that's not to the tastes of everyone. Not to keep banging on about the PGR2 episode, we, I think it's something we all referenced with with Edinburgh specifically, um, that we could recognise places. I think coming back to it, like something had to give, you know, did, for all this, you know, the technical expertise of having to you know, make cars look prettier and yada, yada, yada. I think, you know, something had to give and obviously more tracks was one of those things. Going back to PGR3, I, I really feel like, you know, after coming off the PGR2 show, that, that is a game that feels like it's at the peak of the series in, in the regards of like they they'd got their technical aspect of the driving down, but equally they you know they wanted to to highlight lots more tracks and get lots more kind of stuff in there. And free feels somewhat like it's a pared down um, experience purely because obviously you know one they must have had a, a time frame to hit, and two you know the the technical aspects of that stuff they had to kind of obviously retech they had the whole system to get this thing pushed out. So actually going back to it now, it, it does actually feel like an incomplete racer in some respects. I think today the reviews absolutely would highlight that there probably isn't enough content in this for a, you know, a full price, full fledged game. Uh, and back to my earlier point, although you, you know, we keep saying, oh, it's got X amount of tracks, like a lot of those tracks account for 
30 seconds of race time or a tenth or you know a quarter of a section of track that they basically made a, a stop start position uh, and then class that as a a thing you know really when it comes down to it there's there's not a huge amount of content um within those tracks you know they do the old thing of well We've turned the track. You race it the other way around. That way, the corners are different. Yeah, it's like, well, <laughs> not really, but okay. Modern motorsport circuits do the same thing. There's about seven or eight different configurations of the same track, you know. But uh, oh, but, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But they tend to share like key features of that of the environment are shared between all the tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, like the I think the Vegas tracks, and nearly all of them include some part of the strip, either the full length or or part of it. You know, they all kind of do that. So you do. You do get familiar with certain sections. It, yeah. It's an old trick. I mean, it's an old trick, but it, it, it in this one in particular, going back to it, it felt really quite bitty. I played a lot of other races around, and, and Project Gotham 2 just felt a bit more fleshed out, a bit more kind of focused racing project where this seemed like, you know, they they had other goals to hit, and it feels like they just made a slightly, you know, bitty product when it comes to just playing around with it. Not to say that I didn't have, you know, I, I jumped into the Nerva ring and had a proper long race on that, and, you know, it, it clearly, technically, it could do that stuff, but I guess you know, monetary-wise and the you know, time periods and stuff, it just meant that it wasn't quite there. You know, we talk about this on, on Project Gotham Four, but um, that's actually something that I don't think you can level that Project Gotham Four. That's a much more um, mm. complete product. Whether it's any, any better, I'm not, you know, we'll talk about, but you know, there, there's definitely more of a product there. This is one of those aspects where, when we're talking back retrospectively about a game twelve years old, we can look at it and say, "Well, maybe it doesn't feel so complete. Maybe there is a lack of content." Whereas at the time, you go, "Well, there's still quite a lot of content yeah, here." Um, a prime example would be something uh, Forza, uh, where maybe between four and five, they added was it one track, the Prague track, and in Forza four from three, they added the one in the snow. Many of those games, I mean, they, because they're they're focused on on realistic. There's only so many tracks in the world they can they can add like here. Um, well, actually, Forza 7 added the Dubai track just because you know, they came out of a track. And that's something mm. I think is a criticism of today's races, which they, they should be adding kind of more just fun. Here, we just made you a cool track and a cool location idea. Um, and that's, you know, that was essentially makes up an arcade racer, right? It's, you know, someone's imagination yeah, of, okay. well, this would just be a cool bend to, to power slide round. It doesn't have to be realistic in any way, but hey, this is damn fun playing it. And that's, you know, that's for us that enjoy arcade races that's one of the the sad things about the situation we've ended in which is we've either got very straight laced down the line you can't can you can't complain at forza and gran turismo you know aiming for those things because that's what those games are and that's what they've always been but equally i feel like um the horizon games in particular have maybe made it a bit too loosey-goosey like it's a bit too we've just kind yeah. of carved this out the environment and well, it's up to you how you get there this is the balance isn't it this 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 is how hard it is to get an arcade game right yeah i want to get back to burnout where it's we've created this ridiculous jump and a corner at the end of it and a you know a ramp and it yeah well, it's, yeah and it's like a tailor-made experience where sometimes forza doesn't it horizon in particular doesn't actually supply that so i can see where um gary is talking about drive clubs as kind of like that halfway house between Structure. all of the all these games here when it's trying to like hit everything but yeah yeah man i'm i just, I just want to force a burnout back probably one of the better examples is that we, we've already covered all the burnout games yeah. on ken and rinse but burnout paradise for example is one that was incredibly popular a lot of my friends adored that game Whereas my biggest issue with it was that it lost all the structure that I loved from something like Burnout Revenge. By basically offering you this big city, nothing was refined enough that I found it so enjoyable to drive as a track. Now, this I love navigating something like Forza Horizon, 
But again, because it's just big, I don't feel like it's carefully structured enough to where it's just track based. Yeah, I mean those, but those two examples they they work best when they're point to point races. So you know, uh, Paradise when you're crossing the entire map, and same with um, Horizon, where where Horizon has these kind of contrived track races, it doesn't quite work as well. Well, the point Tony was making, you know, although these uh, PGR series were set in, you know, essentially a kind of constrained open city environment, they deliberately played loose with that. You know, some of those real mm-hmm. world locations do yeah. not look like anything like that because they were they wanted to make it fun rather than just make it realistic. They used key elements that yeah. may have widened a certain road or or maybe added like a whole uh, a turn that wasn't there. But by being able to take, particularly in PGR3 where they'd modelled more of the city, mm. they could still look at it and say, well, that's a really good, route to drive through but if we just put like the barriers there and and a chevron there kind of you know and a curb they can really sort of mold these into Mm. tracks and that's where this in an environment wins for me over something like horizon where that wasn't the case or the worst case for it was playing multiplayer races in uh, burnout paradise was saying this is your start there's your end point to point but one person goes straight down that alley another person goes down that road another person goes left and before you know it, you're not racing anyone and and like the atmosphere of it's gone so i felt like there's many ways to structure tracks in environments and i feel like pgr is the one that really gets it closest to how i enjoy to play it because i'm someone who i love racing games i'm probably the real resident race game fan on gain and rinse and i adore track-based racing because I know that lap after lap after lap I can target that apex, that turn, that speed and really just sort of hold the car within the constraints of that track. But sometimes you get sick of racing these tracks because, you know, uh, Project Cars, Assetto Corsa, uh, Gran Turismo in some cases, that's got a lot of fantasy tracks, Forza, you start hitting these tracks over and over. There's only so many times I can play Bathurst or Nürburgring, for example. And as good as they are to drive, sometimes some hybrid between the two and the structure of that absolutely just does it for me. Well, I would argue the Nordschleifer isn't that fun to drive, to be honest with you. It's not. It's Its reputation is through danger and the fact you can still drive it it's not actually a particularly good circuit no it, it's it's just a, it, it's a circuit constructed of certain turns which are fun and a lot of turns that aren't for me in terms of long based ones I prefer something like it, Le Mans in reality uh, the, the you know, I said the North, the North Loop has only got two signature turns on that entire five mile whatever it is four mm. and a half mile circuit whereas you could take something like Spa and that's got six on something that's mm. A ten, you know, a, a fifth of the length. It's 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 one of the reasons I love Le Mans with the Porsche curves and stuff, which are just fabulous to drive around. The, the Nurburgring is a track based on danger, and for anyone who's maybe not aware of how dangerous it is and wants to check a video, there's actually a video of the uh, Porsche or RUF uh, Rough Yellow Bird from 1988 ish, I think, being driven around the uh, Nordschleife. Check that video out for anyone who's even remotely interested in cars and being driven to the limits and you'll see how dangerous that track is. I mean, people still die annually at the Nürburgring. Well, a lot of it is because it's, it's just amateurs <laughs> racing yeah. and, and cars. I mean, going well off the point here, I don't know if we are, but hey, this is yeah, interesting enough. I, I went down a real dark, dark hole just watching YouTube videos for about a week of people racing that and just writing their cars off because it's uh-huh. one of the most hilarious things yeah. of people taking 
multiple thousand pounds cars thinking they're a race driver and mm. then stacking it and breaking like entire and then them coming out of their cars and almost crying on the bonnets because realizing that the yeah there is no insurance claim on that that is just gone in terms of a, a quick video game comparison or or reference before we move on to Project Gotham Racing 4, <laughs> uh, in regards to the Nürburgring. In Gran Turismo, they did the Gran Turismo Academy, and the winner of that actually is a, a professional race mm-hmm. driver. He, he's featured as one of the uh, people that's followed for the Le Mans documentary that, the, that Amazon mm-hmm. did. It, it's from last year, and in 2015, he raced the Nürburgring and his car came off, and it was a, a really, really bad crash. And one of the uh, spectators was killed. Um, and he, he, he simply won't answer questions on it, but that's obviously a Gran Turismo reference. But it gives you an idea of just how ridiculously dangerous for racers and fans alike the Nürburgring is. And it is a place built purely on their, on, on reputation. And it was cool to race it in PGR3, but it's not something that I think is important to racing no, games. There's, there's it's better become tra- a video game cliche, unfortunately. It has a little bit, yeah. On to Project Gotham Racing 4. <laughs> this was uh, a game, again, developed by Bizarre Creations, uh, published by Microsoft Game Studios and released exclusively on the Xbox 360. Released in North America October 2nd, 2007. Japan October 11th, 2007, the same day in Australia. We got it last in Europe. We got it October 12th, 2007. And we'll go straight into our histories with it. So, Tony, again. Yeah, once again, as a fan of the series, I, I, I purchased I'm, I'm trying to look at my uh, achievements now and see what my, my first one was. 12th of October, 2007. We'll talk about it, but the things that I was most excited about was the addition of bikes. That was a you know to me a big deal. It's well, yeah, you know, I was a big fan of the most GP games around that you know, around these times. Uh, you know, the idea of you know breaking kind of that aspect of what this game was 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 appealing to me. Other things as well, just super excited about all the the added features that were going to be put in there. You know, weather effects was something that they they were putting front and center. It it looked incredible. Um, certainly then you know, I was you know, the, the screenshots were if people were excited about Project Off and Racing 3 the screenshots were 4 I couldn't believe what I was looking at uh, how about yourself Gary? well I've looked at true, true achievements so it looks like 14th of October for me which is a week or two later my memory of uh, the initial release was one of a of being a little bit underwhelmed by it if I'm honest with you I think maybe I was expecting a bit more than what because there have been such you know, large changes between the first mm-hmm. game, two and three. I think four, to me, felt the stuff they were adding was stuff I wasn't so interested in. Like the bikes, I had no interest in whatsoever. And the weather effects, although nice, you know, I, I don't really think they... Again, it's not something I was really looking for. Uh, and I know they increased the number of tracks and, and cities. I wasn't even that keen on some of the cities they added. Was it... Uh, is this, this isn't Stockholm, is it? It was... um. St. St. Petersburg, Petersburg, yeah, which, yeah, yeah, it's all right. But St. Petersburg is it's sort of flat and, <laughs> and everything looks similar. You know, it's, mm-hmm. um, I just, I don't know. But I did play a lot of it in the end because when I was in the Ninja Fat Prisons Clan, we used to do a lot of um, competition nights and PGR4 was the usual racing game that we would compete in. So I ended up playing a lot of it that way, almost like semi-competitively. Um, rather than actually sort of investing a lot of time in the single player with this one. So myself, I picked it up at launch. Um, I was I was interested in it for numerous reasons. One, it was a Project Gotham racing game, and I loved that franchise. And two, my friend had recently got a job at Bizarre Creations. He worked. He was working on the club um, rather than in the PGR4 team, 
but I would get in all sorts of information in there about the, the little tweaks, the little touches, the improvements that we were seeing, and that I should be excited. Now, I did know about the addition of bikes well in advance, but I was good. I kept it quiet. But it, it was something that, I'm a bit like Gary, I didn't, bikes was never something that I was really asking for. It was kind of cool that they, they did it, but my hope was that they would have kept them separate. So just bikes yeah, or the, just cars. Yeah, but then cars. the advertising, it was very much, you you had the race cars racing and the bikes then suddenly, you know, undercutting, overtaking. It was like, yeah. wow, look, you can combine the two guys. I, I can understand it as a marketing perspective because there's no other games that are doing it. But for me, it's, I, I love my car racing games. I loved MotoGP back in 2002, the, the original Xbox. It was a series that the first two were good and then I'd started to lose interest in it a bit and I, I felt like they just got the cars right. Was it not going to feel right with the bikes in there? Would they even get the feel of the bikes right? You know, there's more to detract from that game than than was going to be added to it with the uh, bikes for me personally. But I, I still got it at launch because it was PGR and I wanted to play it. And and it's something that I got all the achievements in it. I played the heck out of that game regardless. And the, the bikes did win me over somewhat. You know, I, I, I did enjoy it. So PGR 4 did relatively well. Sales-wise, we do actually have accurate figures for this one. Uh, 2.04 million copies. That was a 0.48 million in North America, 1.28 million in Europe. So as Gary said, racing games do tend to sell bigger in Europe. 0.02 million copies in Japan, 0.25 million in other regions. Uh, it also received an Elspa uh, Platinum Sales Award for 300,000 copies sold. Two released, much like the prior games in the series, to much critical acclaim. It packs an 85 out of 100, so it's dropped three from the third on Metacritic. On Game Rankings, it's an 86.5%. Official Xbox Magazine did give it a 10 out of 10. OneUp.com gave it an A-, minus, and Edge gave it a 9. So it was pretty well received, it's fair to say, and it sold very well. So in development... Uh, PGR 4 was actually accidentally released in part of a Peugeot press release for a competition uh, where entrants would uh, design a new Peugeot vehicle. The winner of the competition would then have their design featured in the game and the winning vehicle was the Peugeot Flux, which was added via DLC. It was short and, uh, announced shortly afterwards, but had its release date announced at E3 2007. They originally said it was going to release in September. It was delayed a month. It was released in October. Bazaar stated that it wouldn't be released quote, until it's done. Brian Woodhouse, the business director at Bazaar Creations, said, we feel like we've got more time. Last time round, we feel we got the game ripped away from us. That's likely in regards to meeting the release date of the Xbox 360 hardware. Also, in stark contrast to comments made regarding working with Microsoft uh, for Project Gotham Racing over Metropolis Street Racer, which we talked about, we did have some new features. Gary's already mentioned the weather. Uh, this was a big thing. Sun, rain, snow, hail were all in the game. All told, there were 10 different weather styles uh, that could uh, vary during a race. If you were connected to Xbox Live, it would retrieve the data from the weather channel <laughs> and it would mirror the weather in the appropriate city, which was kind of cool. But then again, in Macau, one of the new locations in the game, didn't really offer that much variation. And it's somewhat similar to what they did with uh, Metropolis Street Racer, where the accurate lighting so it would be day or night, depending on the time in that in that city, which was a nightmare if you wanted to race first thing on a Saturday morning in San Francisco because it was pitch black. 
They added a new multiplayer game mode called Bulldog, uh, a mode of tag where players started as the Bulldog and attempt to turn all other players into Bulldogs by simply driving into them. A cat and mouse style game, which uh, was created by communities on the second one, added in the third one, then developed on with this, similar to like an infection game mode from Halo or uh, the Forza Horizon games have a very similar mode. And PGR Nations was a thing once with PGR4 where players that were connected to Xbox Live would race on behalf of their country. The average stats would then be added to the total of that country and placed in a leaderboard in an Olympic-style scoring system. I've added this purely because we've got Darren as part of the team. The intro theme was written and performed exclusively by The Prodigy, Darren's favourite group. And the theme would dynamically change as the player progresses through the menus, which was really cool. And it was something that I really liked as I was playing and I didn't know was going to happen until it was. So the new features, anything there that sold you immediately on the game, Gary, (laughs) I feel like you've made everything clear. Absolutely none. (laughs) Other than um, the menu looked nice with all the water and the car spinning around but other than that no in hindsight gary was on the right end of the stick because um, the the bikes i i know that you know it's it, it got good reviews but going back to it now the bikes are atrocious They're terrible <laughs> They're yeah. they really are it's it's one of those um things you know where a developer is good at a thing and then they try to shoehorn something else in but they're not experts at it and it just comes off as a you know a half-hearted attempt at uh, a bike racer and and that's what it, it does because i think the the core concept is a great one which is well bikes are super fast super quick acceleration you know they max out uh you know a, a relatively kind of like you know mid high speed where the cars can get to a higher speed but um the cars take longer to get there so the the concept they had in their mind was that the cars would be you know beating the bikes on the straights but ultimately having to to break and, and get around the corners you know a lot slower so it would give the bikes a chance to kind of have this kind of tag to and fro other way around tony Cars quicker on corners, bikes quicker on straights. No, but you know the bikes have the kind of the nim the nim because the the way I remember the, the bikes could kind of nimble through the pack, so they'd get around yeah, the corners. It's acceleration. Yeah, acceleration. So they'd go into a corner. Okay, sl- maybe slower, but they'd come out of the corner so much faster. Power to weight ratio. If you think about it, you've got the um, it's, a, it's a motor strapped to someone's ghoulies basically so yeah. yeah just playing it back now and i and i think i do remember this being the case back in 2007 the bikes are really squirrely so you'd come up to a corner you'd slam on the brakes you're either sm- smashing into the wall because you've got it done right or the bikes are kind of just do that what i always call that kind of tank slap kind of slippy slappy kind of moving into the corner and then pulling away and it, but it just doesn't feel right it doesn't feel like a bike racing game that there is no real feeling of weight to them if i think sank back to my, my days of motor gp and, and really feeling like you know the physics of playing with how you kind of pull away in those bikes to me it just felt like something that was go would go really fast long as you could get it around the corners and it just wasn't particularly fun in the end i think in in multiplayer a lot of people just gave up on the idea of bikes it was brutal you could set that stuff to be well we you could only do races and it but in the single player there was absolutely areas i've still got my safe file and this one as well which is handy but so i could play some of the later tracks and there absolutely was bike only races Bikes and car races, car only races, you know, certain things you'd have to achieve on the bike, certain things you couldn't achieve on bikes. You know, I think there was a desperate attempt to kind of make this even more of an arcade racer than, you know, halfway house between Sirius and an arcade racer in, in, in the driving sense. I think on a piece of paper, it looked better than what it turned out. It's a great sales feature, isn't it? It's a great sales pitch. But the thing is, you can't play 
with the feel of bikes, even without racing or uh, having had experience on a motorbike, you know whether it's right or wrong. Whereas with cars, we have different handling models in different games. Um, we had the old Need for Speed games, uh, the, the grid games where the cars would pivot in the middle and you'd get used to it. You have cars that now simulate, you know, front, rear, mid engine cars mm-hmm. and, and the feel around the tracks. And, you know, we can take it when they're simulation, we can take it when they're completely arcade. But with a bike, they feel right or they feel wrong. And motorbikes to PGR are how BMXs feel to actual BMXs in something like Grand Theft Auto or San Andreas, where it just doesn't, you know, you'll use it, but you just know it doesn't feel right. And when it's a racing game and you've got to utilise it, it takes a lot of practice to sort of ignore the thoughts that are in your mind because you know how you would do it in real life or how you would do it in a, a more simulation experience is not the way to ride a bike in this. If you if you want to have fun, ride the bike in first-person view. That's... <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. really hard it's very disorienting mm-hmm. and yeah for all the things that i loved about first person uh driving in in the cars in pgr which i did in both pgr 3 and 4 was completely internal only with bikes that just wasn't an option it had to be an uh, external chase mm. cam we had the mixture of racing cars and bikes you had that again the risk reward that the whole thing that project gotham racing is built upon with bikes they were quick they were nimble they could nip in between but you could knock the bikers off which <laughs> you just know that that's exactly what multiplayer was and it was an absolute <laughs> complete, yeah it was an absolute pain um yeah. because you could try and pull a skillful maneuver and you would beat someone on the inside with a skillful overtake and you just know that they weren't breaking because <laughs> they could hit the barrier turn off it and go quicker then it would respawn you back on a bike. And that, that's ultimately what it came down to. And, you know, you, you, there was a sense of trying to balance it, but it just felt way short. In, in a strange way, I didn't hate them by the end. The structure that you've already sort of referenced there, Tony, that there were bike-only events, there were car-only events, there were mixed events, and there was a similar tier system to how it worked in PGR3. It was slightly developed. That by the later game, I kind of had a handle on how to sort of ride these bikes. You know, I, I had the drifts down. Again, you would earn the kudos in the same way that you would in a car, except that you could do endos and wheelies. You could still drift. You could still hit the, the you know, the fast lines, the uh, the gutsy manoeuvres, etc. They were all still a part of the experience, but it just felt very, very different how it did in a car. And as I said, going into this, I felt like they had it down for the cars. And the only thing that the bike's handling was going to be was a detraction. I'm trying to think of anything that's done it thereafter. <laughs> is, there, is there another racing game that's added the two? Yeah, Drive Club added bikes as a later a, a later addition. It, again, it, it just didn't quite feel right. I didn't like doing bikes against cars, or, or vice versa, obviously. I preferred bikes against bikes and cars against cars. And if I was racing with friends, it was always cars because they were just more fun. The whole structure was a little bit different to PGR3. Cars were now unlocked via Kudos, so you didn't have the 71 of the 80 unlocked, the relevant numbers uh, comparatively, because there were a few new cars. Um, we'd gone back to having a range of cars similar to PGR1 and 2, so we had classic cars added in, such as the Corvette Stingray, the Maserati 250F, uh, the DeLorean DMC12, which was linked to an achievement that everyone loved. We had a total of 120 licensed cars in the game now. It had gone up by 30 or 40 pre-DLC for PGR3. You unlocked those vehicles via Kudos, so it had gone back to the more traditional system. Um, you could unlock vehicle packs as well as superficial items like gamer packs, for, uh, gamer pictures for use on Xbox Live profiles. You know, we were heading into the era where you would 
unlock avatar rewards in games and stuff so it was you know it wasn't such a surprise to see you be able to unlock these things but it's definitely something that we hadn't seen in pgr3 cars would also be unlocked via invitationals and more traditional driving game unlock methods location wise we had the exact same tracks as project Gotham racing 3 so london las vegas New York, Nürburgring and Tokyo all returned, but we had Shanghai, St. Petersburg, Macau and Quebec added alongside them. What were your feelings on the new locations? Anything that stood out to you? No, they're largely forgettable, actually, from my point of view, I think. I'm sure they were added, you know, part of it was for them to show off the weather effects from a few of those locations. But, you know, they don't really, none of them really stood out for me. And as I said, I actively disliked the St. Petersburg one. Felt monotone to me. You trying to say that Russia's grey? Well, no, St. Petersburg isn't. I mean, you know, it's designed and built by Peter the Great, you know, and it's it's all sort of Baroque buildings. It's quite stunning. But in in PGR 4, it, it doesn't feel like that. It feels quite monochrome. So you preferred driving a tank in GoldenEye through it than you did actually driving a car in PGR? Oh, well, oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Although, that was, although it was supposed to be St. Petersburg, it was actually Warsaw, wasn't it? But anyway, yes. I remember the Shanghai one being quite fun because it's the one where you go to close to the airport, don't you? I remember that being quite fun. But it's the only one of the series, like I said, where there's there's actually a track and a city that I actively dislike, which I don't think any of the other games had. Is this the one you played most online? Yeah. Because you're playing with a group of friends. It was mainly competitive. Yeah, mainly semi-competitive. It was mainly in um, clan tournaments. Yeah, when I was looking at the achievements uh, uh, a moment ago, I noticed that I've got a lot for online stuff and that's probably the reason that I can remember lots <laughs> St. Petersburg was often used for Bulldog because it had quite broad wide avenues yeah it was similar to the Russia track in PGR2 wasn't it was, it was that Moscow, Moscow in yeah, PGR2 well, it was more, that was getting, uh, also yeah, very well, wide I think that is a feature of the big Russian cities that were built by the Tsars but uh, Moscow had more gradient and bends in it I think St. Petersburg is more like a grid system with little bridges everywhere similar to Chicago and I think things like London and New York New York were favourites uh, for those types of races I know when we used to do it it would nearly always be London or New York or Vegas Vegas mainly for that deadly chicane that was always carnage yeah, and, and in that respect, it was enjoyable. It also had the advantage that some of the net code was fixed as well because probably wasn't a problem you guys came across too much, but setting up private matches where you've got eight players was a nightmare in PGR3 because it was very NAT intolerant. So if someone came in with a strict NAT, it would boot everyone else out. It used to drive everyone mad. Whereas they seemed to have fixed that with PGR4, it was much more forgiving, and you were able to get like a full lobby together. That was the it was like getting the lobby together was was the most difficult thing in PGR3. Whereas in PGR4, it was actually relatively straightforward, which is why it became the kind of you know if the tournament involved a driving game, it invariably would be PGR4. How about yourself, Tony? Any standout locations, new additions to PGR4? <laughs> I just keep going back to London over and over again. <laughs> you just keep playing just so London. Terrible. No. I, I, I mean, we mentioned the weather conditions, and I know Gary <laughs> clearly wasn't a huge fan of it. But I, I found that a, a fun, a, a fun addition. And, and going back to it now, you know, playing the same track under completely different circumstances. Of course, I had to go the extreme of everything. So, storm versus, uh, you know, blizzard versus, you know, bright sunshine, just to see how each time it played out. And you know, it, it had a variation of how that track played. It's not quite now you know puddles on the road causing you to kind of <laughs> lose and traction and, and you're steering but you know there was definitely a, a slidier track if, when it rained um and i remember visually that blowing me away back in 2007 you know the the, the incompetent view the water hitting the windscreen and the, the wipers taking it off in that kind of like that drip lined fashion you know as a technical showcase 
super impressed that you know something like that was even possible on a console game at the very least at that point and i think that you know that itself bleeds through the entirety of the game it's um you know going back to it it's it's still a damn fine looking racing game even 10 years down the line it's uh it, you know the colors pop it's it you know the cars look relatively detailed for what they need to be unfortunately not quite where we are in today's standards but you know kind of like diminishing returns isn't it like you get 95 percent of the way there on the on the 360 tech and it seems like the, the last five now takes incredible like 10 to well 500 times the amount of polygons to really bring the, the fact that you can see it's carbon fiber rather than just you know a, a kind of more black texture Still a good-looking game, I have to say. You know, playing it you know, in 2017. So location-wise, I was actually quite a big fan of Macau. Um, I found it a lot of fun, a lot of tight corners. An uphill hairpin left was always an incredibly oh, yeah, challenging race uh, point online. Um, again, much like the uh, the Las Vegas chicane, it was the one that sort of really separated the pack from those who knew the tracks and knew where to push the cars to to those who would crash and and end up out of the race. By far the most challenging corner uh, in the game for me. Uh, incredibly memorable, maybe for that one reason alone, but definitely something I enjoyed. I wasn't so down on St. Petersburg. I quite enjoyed it. As I like the flat out, you know, foot down, round the big corners, the sharp 90, de- 90 degree uh, handbrake turn kind of, of bends for heavy kudos scoring. I felt like the four new tracks were a good balance, although I didn't really use the create a track option the ability to sort of edit, edit them into tracks that I enjoyed that I did from PGR3. I don't think I used it at all on PGR4. I felt like maybe this one offered enough as it was with the, the multiple routes that you could race online already. It felt like there was a greater selection of those. In terms of the added features, the weather was a definitely a big sell for me. Uh, I was crying out for, for weather. I am in all racing games. I remember from PGR4, we had Forza 3, but we had Forza 4, Forza 5, Forza uh, Horizon. And then, and then uh, we finally, we'd even gone through Horizon 2, and by Forza 6, we finally had weather in a Forza game. So it gives you an idea of the length of time that had passed between exclusive Microsoft races and weather effects. Being an interior racer and having the, the rain hit the windscreen and be washed away by the windscreen wipers, it's one of only three racing games that have ever blown me away with their weather effects. The other's been uh, Formula 1, when that got released on the 360, uh, with, the, with the intense water coming up at you, and, Fort, uh, and Forza Motorsport 6, with the uh, 3D water, physically rendered water, that would have your aquaplaning. It was definitely up there, and going back and playing it again, I was impressed by how much I enjoyed racing. It's a fairly basic representation of what it's like to skid on water, so it's a simple change of the numbers that the you know the traction in these sections is a little bit lower, and it reacts with the weight of your car. So it's a very basic physics model, but it definitely added to it, especially like I say, as an interior uh, view racer, it could add quite a lot to a race. I found it fascinating and, and a big thing. Bikes-wise, I didn't really... Racing on the rain didn't really mean that much to me. It was just a little bit skiddier, and it was already a little skittish on a bike, so it just became a sort of a lesson in frustration that you couldn't break heavily into corners. Rules out 50%, roughly, of the way to earn kudos. So the fun of racing in a bike in the rain just simply wasn't there for me as a result. Well, they don't generally do it. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason. <laughs> and did, did any of you guys take the PGR Nations thing seriously? No. I mean, personally, myself, I forgot it was even in there. I've, I genuinely forgot it was no, a feature. No, you can't. 
you can't put any stock by either, you know. No, because of numbers of players per region. It's something we've seen before. It's it's that kind of thing. If you get only three players who play it hardcore in Denmark and 80,000 people playing it in the UK, it's very hard to balance those numbers out, isn't it? So it, like that kind of thing is always a bit odd. And, you know, we, we see games doing it. Overwatch does something similar now in, in uh, location leaderboards. I genuinely, reading through and doing my research before this uh, recording, I thought I had the knowledge <laughs> when it came to the VGR games, and I totally forgot that that was in it, so that was kind of a surprise. It's a shame the TV thing didn't carry forward, but fundamentally, uh, with 4, the core racing was still good. You know, it's not like that got worse. Yeah. As I said uh, earlier, I just felt, I don't know whether they ran out of ideas, it just felt like they were just trying too hard with this one. Uh, and you don't know what sort of pressures they were under in terms of trying to have a you know a big commercial uh, success with the sequel. Um, I mean, we can't really tell from the numbers, but I would suggest the fact there was never a Project Gotham Racing four suggests they didn't do the numbers that they they were expecting. Five. There was five, definitely sorry. a Project Gotham Racing four. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, five. So they definitely <laughs> do the numbers they were expecting, and obviously there was the whole business which you're going to get onto with Activision because I think if anyone was going to buy Bizarre, you'd have put money on Microsoft. But they didn't. Yeah, they, they weren't even at the front of the queue. Like the uh, first game we had DLC, it was far more of a common thing in in gaming now. It was getting to the point where it's kind of unusual to see a game not utilize it, and I think publishers were starting to cotton on that it was a bit of a money maker. So we had the challenge pack. This was actually free. This added the Peugeot Flux, the the car that won the competition that actually outed PGR four as a game in advance, uh, with two new game modes: two wrist game mode, which was a free roam online mode, which needed at least two players, where players could just simply drive around the cities um, and 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 have a look at the environments. Yeah, I suppose it's the majority of what Forza Horizon yeah. is between events. I think it's something I did maybe once, drove around on a couple of tracks with a friend and, and thought, yeah, that, that's nice. And they also did free roam cat and mouse. So now we were no longer restricted to elements of circuits, uh, certain routes within circuits when playing cat and mouse. You could just unleash on the, not so much the city, on the location, because everything was connected in some way, shape or form. This is something that I did actually play more of. Whereas when I played PGR 3 online, it was primarily just races. I actually really enjoyed the free roam cat and mouse. It was a lot of fun, especially if you could get a group of people in. I mean, did you do it at all with the Ninja Fat Pigeons, Gary? A bit of cat and mouse. It was mainly Bulldog because, again, that kind of lent itself more to uh, competitive play. But yeah, I played a bit of cat and mouse. I was never a huge fan of that mode, for honest with you. I preferred what they did with Bulldog, last man standing, effectively. That was a bit, a bit more fun. It's the sort of thing you did as a sort of yeah, a bit of fun after competition, you know, where people would hang around and you just muck around for a bit. Then we got the Premium Challenge Pack DLC. This added seven new cars, three new bikes, and a World Challenge Arcade mode, which I believe was 20 new events. It also added 10 new achievements into the game, adding that longevity. We were now getting additional achievements uh, added into games, and... It was something else for me to chase because myself personally, I really wanted to get... I like to try and get all the achievements in racing games. That, that, that's one of my things. Yes, I actually didn't get them. I, I'm missing some of the cat and mouse stuff just because I think it was hard to organise. Some of the, the requirements were you know, a little bit taxing. But yeah, like like anything, yeah, they're just tokens of things to do and, and enjoy. But it requires you to push through the single player game. If Gary wasn't particularly you know that fast about doing that, then you know he wouldn't come across all of them. Hmm. I'm just looking now. I've got nearly everything apart from the single player ones. I really like the fact that a game that was yeah you know, relatively serious 
um, could kind of take an idea from the community, run with it over a number of games, and then kind of really kind of embed it into the code itself and say, no, that you know you have come up with something that you know is fun and you created yourself. So I think I always enjoyed the concept of it more than probably the actual execution. But you know, was just appreciative that uh, bizarre creation was. You know, we're listening to fan feedback, and you know, that stuff's kind of moved on to in Forza. You know, they they kind of run with that in the, the multiplayer senses. There's a ton of that stuff, you know, built in from the, from day one within those games. Sadly, in 2012, the DLC was removed from the Xbox Live Marketplace, and there are currently no plans to reinstate it. I would assume that if the both games go backwards compatible and free on yeah. or in a sale on on Xbox. They haven't yet, though. Don't act surprised. We still don't have Crackdown 1 and 2. And Crackdown 3 is apparently the thing that's going to make Xbox relevant again. And we still don't have the first two to tease people into the third. I mean, I, I don't know if it's it's got anything to do with all the licensed music, etc. I know that's always an issue, but whether it's because, because of that? It's possible. Um, Microsoft already owned the publishing rights for the game, so whatever their deal is, it shouldn't have been an issue. It's one of those things we can only speculate, sadly, when it comes to not having them. For me, Xbox is worse for not having it, having them both as backwards compatible games, because I still think they're very, very playable. Particularly when they're coming out and talking about, you know, the backwards compatibility is all about being cognizant, yeah, of the legacy of the system and like key marquee titles, you know, and they're doing things like OG Xbox stuff. They've definitely picked the games there that were, you know, a good handful of those games were synonymous with that original Xbox. Again, it was surprising that Project Gotham Risen yeah, 2 wasn't got the one of the names. Titles. You know, I, just, I find that... <laughs> Really Fusion strange. Frenzy, I have, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's strange when it comes to that OG Xbox stuff because immediately my mind was, well, that's PGR2 and that's Panzer yeah. Dragoon Auto. Well, I don't understand either, Panzer Dragoon, so. but yeah. I, I find it bizarre. I do think it has to do with the licenses of uh, official music and stuff because loads of that stuff would have just completely expired by now and there's no point in them going back in and change well, we, one you don't want to change the code and they can't and two you don't want to have to renew licenses for essentially um, and of course Bizarre yeah Bizarre the whole thing with Bizarre PGR4 was the last Project Gotham racing game we got um, the next racing game we got from them was Blur which we may cover on an upcoming podcast but things started to change Microsoft showed no interest in picking up the studio when it was floated it was ended up being acquired by everyone's favourite publisher at the time, Activision. It was definitely a strange time in that studio. As I've mentioned, my friend was working there. And it was happy days when Activision took over. People got a buyout bonus in their paycheck. Even my friend, who hadn't been there overly long, got some extra money, which was kind of cool in that regard. But he said it was just right from the get-go. Um, things weren't right. People wanted out. People were leaving. Um, jumping ship. Activision seemingly had a huge impact on the on the dynamic, the relationship within that studio and the goals. And I think it's safe to say that Bizarre Creations was not the Bizarre Creations that we knew. Um, this isn't unusual. We've seen it before with games. Uh, we've recently discussed very similar things on the uh, Destiny podcast in regards to the takeover by um, oh yeah, Activision. <laughs> <laughs> Should we be so overly surprised? I think for us three in particular, it, it's a little bit of a sour subject because... It, it's no secret we all loved Bizarre Creations. We loved the Project Gotham. And uh, without talking too much over what we thought of Blur, because it's very possible we'll cover that at some point, it was just sort of sad to see this great British studio that had so many great hits. Almost just, you just sort of saw the flame flicker out. It was just no more. It, it seemed to be very quick. 
from memory without actually researching too much into it. Can anyone recall how many games they released under Activision? Two. Uh, that, that was the number that came to mind. That is not a lot <laughs> yeah. for a studio that came under a multi-million acquisition. It's Blur and Bloodstone. Yeah. My friend quickly jumped ship. He went to go to Bioware in, in Canada oh, uh, to work on Mass Effect 2 and 3. He worked on Mass Effect well, 2 and 3. Yeah, he's been all over the place. He's actually just left Canada again for a second time uh, very recently to go work for id. He could never speak too much on it for very obvious reasons, but he just said it became a very unpleasant environment to be in. The top names, the top people in that company would jump in ship. And for anyone who's interested in the development team, we went through a lot of of the notable names involved with PGR 1 and 2, where we saw the likes of Kiki Wolfkill and Dan Greenewalt, uh, both very high up at Microsoft and turn 10 respectively if you look at a lot of the people in key roles in project gotham racing three and four they just didn't they did nothing that that was it they seemingly left the games industry i think it's interesting that you know as a company bizarre creations obviously you know creating the project gotham series it's surprising probably how much microsoft just kept them going and afloat with with money it you know it's well you need to make this for our launch yeah, as a launch product so sure here's the money yeah we need a, a racing game and and yeah that's i mean i, I know um msr doesn't quite fall under that oh, sega i mean sega or sega yes well sega headhunted them specifically at a trade yeah. show so so it feels like for for the longest of time i think they they probably had that kind of backup from a big publisher just saying well we need this for our single platform as an exclusive game and that's important almost you know you go onto activision and you need to make a you know a, a massive product that encompasses all these all these platforms, um, and it has to hit this sales target. Yada yada yada, and yeah, Blur. You know, it's one of those games that it felt quite. I'm gonna say unique, but actually, like it 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 cribbed from many games. But um, you know, for the for the time, it was an interesting product, but it was it was never gonna be a a huge seller. Um, I always thought Split Second had a more ch- a bigger a chance of of breaking that barrier. But you know, both of those right game, wrong publisher in that in that regard. I feel yeah, both of those. I mean, maybe even the wrong time. Like I'd love to see a split second now. I mean, one, it'd look visually just ridiculous, and it would be so much fun to play. Um, but maybe there'd be a more of an appetite for it now. But uh, yeah, I, you know, they tried, didn't they? They they went off and 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 tried their yeah their third person stuff and. I mean, I, I don't want to lay too much of the blame at Activision's door because no one knows the full uh, ins and outs. I mean, we, we see this from people wanting to step away from the Halo franchise because they wanted to make other games. They were sick of being drawn in that. And then and, get trapped in the Bizarre were never just a racing game developer, but they did F1. Uh, then they did, uh, was it F, I believe they did F197 as well. Then they did uh, MSR, PGR 1 through 4. They, they did release the club, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, it felt like they were getting very much into a, a bit of a hole in regards to being stuck into one genre and not being able to be free up. So maybe that had a lot to do with it as well. It hasn't, you know, I think sometimes studios specialising in one genre is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cody's have... Cody's always come up like that, yeah. Well, they've profited massively from the from the um, sinking of, of Bizarre Creations, as did but, Playground yeah, Games. It, all of a sudden you said, well, does Turn 10 need to go off and make a third-person shooter? It's, no. it's, like, it's like... when I think the, no. the, today, in this day and age as well, where uh, development is so expensive, you know, if you've if all your tooling is, is, is built Safe. to make racing games, mm-hmm. then you should just stick to making racing games. Because if you try to be, yeah, be safe, else, you're taking a massive risk and punt in developing something that somebody else probably will do better. 
you know, this sort of stuff is still going on today. I mean, you don't, you don't have to look at the Titanfall respawn thing a few weeks ago. You know, Zampella and his mob left uh, to get out of the clutches of Activision, and within three years they've walked into the clutches of EA. You know, <laughs> there is an element of, you know, you wonder with, we don't know, but you wonder with Bizarre how much of it was the team that owned that were managing Bazaar wanting to get out and, you know, looking for a buyer and, and that, you know, yeah. that, that yeah. provides them an exit. And you, you know that these, these employees were sort of NDA'd up the wazoo yeah. and, and there's a reason that things have not been well, spoken the fact that about. Some of the, the leading but, people at uh, Bazaar went on to left, leave the industry suggests that probably they had had enough of it by that point. The problem here is, you know, the Project Gotham name is still a thing. And, you know, to us, it's still a, a powerful name. But Forza has, I think, in Microsoft's own eyes, I, I assume Microsoft own Project Gotham as a as a name. They're moaning the brand, but I, I just don't see them. Do they do a Project Gotham 5 instead of a Forza Horizon 4? Like, Yeah, per- personally, I don't see why not. I don't know. And what would it be now? It's, it's, you know, just, okay, I'd quite like the idea of the Kudos system coming back because that stuff's in the Horizon games, yeah. but it's so, it, it doesn't mean <laughs> like anything at all. I mean, there's multiple ways that you've got to look at this. I mean, we did have PGR 5 was teased at one point and we never got it. We look at Call of Duty as a franchise. That that's a uh, a franchise brand that is developed by three different teams: Infinity Ward, Treyarch, and Sledgehammer. And they work on a game on a three-year release cycle. So now we have Playground Games was formed to create the Horizon franchise, of which, by the way, people from Bazaar were headhunted for, including my <laughs> friend who came back over to work for Playground on Horizon. Um, and then you've got Turn Ten with the Motorsport series. Why not release another one? Because to do a full turnaround, particularly on a Horizon game in a two-year with a brand new environment, is a big undertaking compared to. I mean, I'm not saying that the that the Forza Motorsport series is not a big undertaking biannually, but it's less of an undertaking than Horizon. So give them each three-year turnaround and bring in. Why you don't have to call it Project Gotham Racing, do you? You could call it Forza. I suppose the difference right now would be that you know Forza Horizon itself has has taken a single location and yes, played with that location and added cities and deserts and etc. around there. Where if it was to be a PGR, you would hope that it would be multiple cities with kind of made up tracks um, and would stand out, differentiate itself from the kind of real world, kind of open world, and then more trap based yeah. um, fun world. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I just. I already stated earlier on that if the Project Gotham Racing feels like a hybrid between the Horizon and the Motorsport series, so for me, if it's absolutely perfectly in amongst the two, in something that could be released every three years, I think we just take one right now. <laughs> for, for me, I think there's absolutely the space to call it Forza Gotham Racing. What anything along those lines, you know, some something. Well, yeah, it's, it's a marketing nightmare, but if you put. PGR under the Forza yeah. label, then you know that that's your brand, and that's Microsoft's racing brand in the same way that Gran Turismo is Sony's racing brand. And maybe the one issue for Microsoft is they don't want two exclusive racing brands. You could bring PGR in and and release it every third year. So Motorsport Horizon Project Gotham. There's definitely a gap in the market for it. I mean, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I I think the only game that's really come close to it was Drive Club in terms of tone, anyway. Uh, and what they were aiming for, and, and like we said, you know, for technical reasons and for various reasons, that didn't do that well. There, there seems to be this at the moment. I mean, the Need for Speed series, I think, is now dead and buried as well. It's like the people who make those type of games 
They're either no longer around or they've lost their mojo. Um, but simulation racers are still a thing. You know, so you've got three that have come out this year, um, all of which, are, let's face it, they're all pretty similar. And the outlier, as you mentioned, is where they've taken their engine and retooled it to make an open world game in Horizon. But I think even with Horizon mm-hmm. and with that third game, it's kind of running out of yeah. ideas. They need to do something different with the next yeah, one. Yeah, Dimension in Returns is an each, each Horizon game is, is you know, it's felt uh, like the trick. It's you know, whether there's three a years. market for that, I would question it. I think it really needs someone to come along with a really good original idea for this genre and it will kick off again. But until someone comes along, it kind of a, like Bizarre, Bizarre did, you know, with, with um, MSR. You know, they came along and they did something yeah. a bit different. It was based, you know, you were racing based on style. And it was all about real world locations and how fun that would be just to tear around those locations at crazy speeds doing big drifts. You know, somebody needs to come along and do something similar. And no one really has done that. And there's been a shift very much towards simulation. We saw it with Dirt as well, you know, Dirt Rally. That's just the flavor of the month at the moment. I think it will come back. It's the chasing of sales figures. And by contrast, you know, I mentioned already on this episode that Project Gotham Racing 4 sold 2.06 million copies. Now, there are very few brands in the racing genre that sell north of one. By that, we're talking Forza does it and Gran Turismo does it. So if I'm highlighting uh, Dirt 4, which was released this year, that's 0.08 million copies. Project Cars was 0.33. F1 2015 was 0.25. Need for Speed 2015 was 0.72. Forza Horizon 2 was 1.42. Forza uh, 6 did 1.99. So that's your, that's your liar there. That, they're your outliers, your Horizons and your Motorsport. Motorsport did, Forza Motorsport 6 did 1.99. That's less than PGR 4. Horizon 3 is actually 2.65. That's been a smash hit for them. But PGR falls in those yeah, but each numbers. one of these years, and you, you're getting further into what PGR falls, 2007. So you know, you're getting further and further away from, I think, just attitudes and tastes of people wanting to play racing mm. games. I think mm. the, the, the pool of people that really care, one, about racing games, two, about arcade racing games, you know, diminishes you know, year upon year. You've only got to look at the steering wheel market now and then you know back in 2007 yes there were like a couple of wheel wheels and there were some pc enthusiasts now the the steering wheel market is absolutely massive you know there are three big manufacturers who've got like yeah, a do- half a dozen so wheels each ranging from like a couple of hundred quid up to almost a thousand pounds you know that that whole simulation market is another level and there's a lot mm-hmm. of money in it because although it's lower numbers, it's people who are willing to spend a lot more money. They want something to be shifting three, four, five million, and it just it does not happen. Like they they are numbers that you're just not reaching for. I mean, Forza Horizon Three was a smash hit. That's two point six five million, and that is easily the biggest uh, exclusive racing yeah, but game. What, what would the costs uh, be in like recent times. to develop that game on these current on like this current platform? I think they would have to be doing bigger numbers or they'd have to find some other way to monetize it to even to even break even. Well, Forza have a good yeah. engine, don't they? They've, they've got their, their their whole engine is built up to do it. But like I say, something like Horizon is a massive undertaking mm. to be doing a full game like I that every two there's years. there's a good will gesture, isn't there? I, I think if you if you brought about the, the name, I think the name does have connotations of interests and quality although you know what is it now with you know the core team that you know quite frankly doesn't 
yeah, it's just it's just a name. So you'd have to have someone, yeah, with that entity that they. But that core team is at playground to a degree. Yes. So I I think absolutely. I think you you bring back a project of them. I think there is a market there for people to be interested in it, just because you know, like any of you know people that have been in the industry for a long time, you kind of look at that stuff and go, oh, well, yeah, I, I loved those games when I was, you know, in my mid-20s, great. Whether that translates to sales is that risk-reward. And, you know, unfortunately, the companies, the way they are, games are very expensive to make. Big games like these are very expensive to make. The only way I can see it happening is if it, you know, piggybacks of, you know, Microsoft and their Forza Brand and somehow doing see forza cells that's why you have to put it envelop it into that the way that we're talking about here we're talking about quite a different game from both you know the motorsport franchise and horizon and creating something that sits in between those two which you know probably create inquires a whole new tool set again msr almost came about as a kind of indie as an indie racing game if you think about it i know it's published by yeah. sega but i mean it was originally developed you would need something similar to that now it would need to be like a, a double a game that came out of nowhere that did a bit like Rocket League has done that comes out and people go, wow, that's a really good arcade racing game for a change. And it will probably do quite well. And then off the back of that, you would probably end up with something very similar to what to what we've, you know, we enjoyed with PGR 10 years ago. But I, it needs somebody out there to, to do that. Now, there's lots, plenty of people who loved these games who are probably now games developers it would probably, you know, would love a chance to do it. You know, it's just a case of, like I said, I think it's a, it's a matter of when, not if. But at the moment, it's a difficult market to penetrate, I would say. Um, and I don't think, I think the fact Need for Speed has done so badly is not going to help either. Um, but it will come and it will come from an unexpected place. And then when it does, we can rejoice because we've got a decent arcade racer again. <laughs> <laughs> because we've got our genre back. With that, we go into our three-word reviews. As this works out, it very nicely falls into six, and three of those were for PGR 3 and three were for PGR 4. So let's start with the PGR 3 three-word reviews. Tony. The King Rocker, Cockpits, and Kudos. Mike Bamford, Next Gen Marvel. And James McCall said, Favourite racer ever. Now, PGR 4. Tony. The TG Gotham waves goodbye. Uh, James McCall, why so dark? And Sean Robertson, 88 miles per hour DeLorean. With those out of the way, it's time for us to wrap up in our summaries. Tony? Yeah, having uh, I mean, there's two summaries here. One which is me playing the games you know, back upon release uh, and me re-experiencing them now for the show. Upon release, they were both technical marvels. I think they, they were interesting, um, you know, Things that were pushing the console and were something that they could stand behind and go, you know, look at look how powerful this thing actually is. And I think that they they feels like different products. I feel like Project Gotham Three itself is somewhat of a stripped down version of of two, um, but you know, it looks plays well. Um, and I think Project Gotham Four was more features, but um, maybe too spread of a focus so they're they're odd products actually compared against my favorites of the series which probably actually goes all the way back to msr and project Gotham racing 2 play them now yeah they they both still look good um surprisingly so um i know we say well the 360 games it wasn't that far ago but increasingly gets further and further away every year that goes past and actually to go back to them now and realize that they are you know they're good fun racing games even now and there is that hankering of 
enjoying the, the kudos and the kind of arcade racing as well as mixed with the more kind of serious stuff combined together and realizing it was such a sound concept and the kind of the loss of that going forward and you know as our long discussion is uh at the end here is you know do we want to see another one absolutely um is now the time and place for it properly will it happen i have my doubts um but I enjoyed, yeah. I my both my memories and the replay of them are, are sound and strong. I think they're they're both very good games, if not the the best of um, adventures in the series, which still continues to be MSR and Project Gotham Two for me. I love racing games, and I I love cars. I love the history behind them. Ironically, and... you don't drive. <laughs> and ironically, I don't drive. But you know, I love football, and I don't play that professionally either. Yet, so rarely do games that supposedly thrive in these aspects actually deliver those elements to me. And I feel like PGR, a game which at its heart is an arcade racer with simulation undertones, does such a better job of delivering the passion of actual motorsport than so many other games. And I think that's why this is such a uh, passion of mine in fact is, is the PGR franchise it's why I love it so much you know I've already mentioned the stuff such as the garages or or I love the mm-hmm. way that the game's structured and the variation of cars I love the art style Tony mentioned it earlier that the, the way that the games look I, I love that chunky visual style that PGR has um, and for me it tickles me in ways that other games don't and going back to it my memories of it being incredibly strong but going back to it it feels so fresh because for the last 10 years we've had test nothing like it you know <laughs> I swear we've had um we we've we've had forza horizon has come in and and utilized elements and it makes sense it's the a lot of the same team yeah. are there you know they were they were head they were headhunted from bizarre for this very reason I really enjoy the Horizon games, or at least the first and the third one, but it doesn't do the same things for me that PGR 3 and 4 did, or 1 2. So for me, the time is absolutely now, and I there is not one iota of doubt in my mind that PGR fits amongst Horizon and Motorsport in that Forza franchise, and they could easily run every three years, and they would sell because Forza is one of the few franchises that sells north of one million consistently. And if other games, such as Dirt Rally, fantastic racing game, uh, the F1 games release every year, Codemasters release to an audience of less than 0.5 million sales. And Turn 10 and Playground Games already have the tools there to build a PGR game without any moment of doubt and microsoft owned that franchise it would not surprise me if this was the next reveal because i imagine that the stress that is put upon both turn 10 and playground to deliver the motorsport and the horizon games is just too high with the time and effort uh, and finances and marketing and everything that goes into these games now the one thing that maybe we could defend activision on on this episode is that they structure their releases for the call of duty games very well that each developer gets three years to build the game that they need to build um and quite honestly if call of duty can do it then forza can do it there is a huge gap in the market for a project gotham racing title and every year e3 goes by and i am sad that we don't get one i i am absolutely all for this franchise coming back all the parts are in play microsoft own the name they've already got an exclusive driving game a driving franchise 
there's, there's no reason that it needs to just be called Project Gotham Racing. It could quite easily fit within the Forza franchise. This is, this is the key element here is that it could be a Forza game. I would say that Microsoft have bigger issues than worrying about. They've already got two successful racing games. Maybe that, you know... They've got one successful racing franchise. As we become more savvy about the industry, I think everyone gets so caught up about the possibility and numbers and this and that. But yeah, as a pure passion project, of course, everybody, I think, you know, that has touched Project Gotham over the years, you know, going all the way back to MSR, would love to see the franchise come back. There's a certain glory about the way that that game sets itself about and is different from other games. So sale figures aside, I don't think you're going to find many people that haven't played in the past that says, yes, we want to see the return of this. When all things point to the potential of it happening and seemingly no reason for it not to happen, that's where my frustration lies because I can go, I can go back to PGR2 now and thoroughly enjoy that game. It's still, for me, the pinnacle of racing games. So with PGR 1 through 4 all being games that I enjoy, Give me a PGR5. Gary? PGR3 and PGR4, along with, uh, I would chuck into that mix, Burnout Paradise and potentially maybe Ridge Racer, are from a period in my gaming history that I look back on with much fondness. And in retrospect, we were really spoiled um, mm. for a sort of two or three year period there. If you're a fan of this genre, you were, you know, you, you were, you know, Split second, I'd absolutely love as well. You know, you were absolutely from PGR three through to split second. It was a fantastic period, and unfortunately, all of those games are now in the same bracket of you know that was great. When are we going to get another one? And it was the, it's the same. You could make some some argument for Burnout Paradise as well. Uh, in fact, that's probably even more demanded than the PGR series is. But having said that, the games haven't gone away. And I think Tony made the point that, uh, and this is something that I, I felt when I played them, you know, um, earlier this year, they still, to me, look great, you know, and they still play great. They don't seem to have aged particularly well. We may now have an extra 100,000, whatever it is, polygons for, you know, 4K pixels. But if you were to revisit, you know, these, these games are 10, 12 years old, and they still look and play pretty decently you know they certainly play really good and they 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 look pretty decent no they look perfectly serviceable and fun and for that in in that respect i think the biggest shame is not that there's not that there's a sequel the biggest shame to me is that you can't play these on a current system Uh, Mm. and that's my biggest disappointment i think looking you know looking at it now and probably the reason i i don't still dip into these games now because it's you know I don't have a 360 set up, so it's not it is effort for me to actually play these games. Uh, whereas if it, they were backwards compatible, I'd be able to dip in and out like I do every so often with Paradise, for example. And I think that's the biggest shame. And maybe if they were backwards compatible, there might be more of a justification if they were popular to make another one. But I think until that happens, then then I will look back fondly on these games and. When and if I get the opportunity, I'll carry on enjoying playing them, as I always have done. Thank you very much, guys, for joining me again. It's been an emotional uh, three-podcast journey over the Bizarre Creations MSR and PGR games, but very fond memories revisited. And next time in issue 296, we nurse our blistered thumbs because we've been playing Mega Man. Join us for Mega Man 1 and Mega Man 2. (laughs)